This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning. Welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's where we bring you the entrepreneurs shaping the world of business together with the musicians shaping the worlds of jazz, soul and blues. I'm very pleased to say that my guest today is Tom Ilube, founder and CEO of Crossword Cybersecurity, a company researching industry needs and commercialising cybersecurity technology. Spending his early years in London, Uganda and Nigeria, Tom says, as a mixed race person, I was viewed as an outsider, both in Nigeria and in the UK. I think that made me build up my own confidence in who I am and take on responsibility for how I feel. Having absorbed some of Nigeria's ambitious you-can-try-anything mindset at the University of Benin, he moved to London, building a successful corporate career with roles at Goldman Sachs, the London Stock Exchange and others, before leaving to, as he says, go entrepreneurial. I figure that if I'm going to work this hard, he said, I might as well do it for myself. Tom established several startup technology businesses focusing on information security and educational initiatives before founding Crossword Cybersecurity in 2014. His aim? To turn cutting-edge ideas in cybersecurity research into products. It's really nice to have you here. Thank you. Now, I read lots of research about all my guests, and when I read the piece of paper that says, so Tom studied, I think it was physics, I'm always nervous, (laughs) because that means you're really clever. Tell me a little bit about the scientist in you, and then I want to talk about business. Are you at heart the person that wants to understand why it is the way it is, and what's working and what's not working in a very methodical, almost... Um, precise way is that you is that is that what defines you in reality beyond everything else um, well I'm a failed physicist um, so I did physics but what I learned quite early on at university was that there were people who were so much cleverer than me that almost instantly I realized I wasn't going to be the theoretical research physicist that I thought I was going to be. I was I was clever enough to be in the room, but not clever enough to do it for a living, which momentarily was a disappointment. But then it was sort of a source of fascination. I, I used to spend time with these immensely clever people and almost like you look at a magician and think, how do you do that? And I used to look at them and think, gosh, that's that's amazing. And I suppose that's become part of the way that I do what I do. I try and collect really clever people and look at them uh, with amazement. I think what I'm doing as a scientist, it's not so much the methodical, it's the inquisitive. It's sort of the how does that work? And isn't that interesting? I, you know, I like coming across things that I think, gosh, isn't, isn't that interesting? And I like trying to understand them to an extent that I really understand them. I can't, it's not that I can just explain them. It's sort of in my bones. And I think, you know, quantum theory, what's that about? And then I get to a point where I think, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm getting a sense of what that's about. How fascinating. So I think I find life fascinating. And in terms of finding life fascinating, let's start at the end and then work backwards. Just very briefly, in your own words, I, I described your business now, which I think went on the AIM market, an IPO back in 2018. Yeah. Just tell me a little bit about, to the layman, and that's me yeah. and probably most people listening, exactly what it does. Yeah. We are what's sometimes called a tech transfer business. So we transfer ideas and technology 
out of universities into the commercial world. We specifically focus on cybersecurity, intellectual property and technology. We talk to loads of universities, find out where the interesting work is going on, identify something that we think is really interesting, clever, breakthrough, and then we agree with the university that they'll let us use that intellectual property in order to create a product and take the product to market. Being inquisitive then, quite important, Tom. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and therefore assembling a team of people right from the get-go that are inquisitive, critical. Yeah, absolutely. And is that? it sounds like that's the overriding piece beyond delivery, beyond relationships, beyond packaging up product, yeah. understanding the technology actually. But hold on a minute. What does that really, what could that do? Yes, what could that do and who's doing it? And, and you know, people have to be interesting to me as well at at the core of what I do is, am I working with fascinating people? Are, are they people that I just find really interesting to spend time with? And are there dimensions to them outside of their work life that's fascinating and interesting as well? It's just a more interesting way to live your life. And in terms of those dynamics, are you quite agnostic about what interesting could mean? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, my range of interests are, you know, uh, thousand piece or three thousand piece at the moment puzzles to tai chi to uh, physics for my uh, my honeymoon i, I was uh, given permission to organize uh, uh, my honeymoon uh, and so i arranged for us to go to a mathematical institute in new mexico which <laughs> which was a bit of a surprise both to my wife and to the mathematical institute in new mexico but uh, completely normal behavior you're listening to me elliot moss talking to tommy lube who's absolutely average <laughs> in every single way. And if you think of doing that on your honeymoon, make sure you've got the right other half. Oh, well, is all I would say on that note. You're still married. Uh, we are. Well done. Uh, fascinating people you talked about and you needing to feel fascinated. Tell me a little bit about what you found fascinating about the banking world. You worked at Egg. You helped Egg launch, in fact, and it was one of my first cards I think I had way back in the early 2000s. Um, you were at Goldman Sachs, quite a well-known investment bank. For most people looking from the outside in on the finance world, it's not interesting. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty soulless is a hard word, but it, it, it can look like it's a little bit inhuman. And yet here you are saying you find people fascinating, things fascinating. So just help me understand that a little bit. Yeah. So early on in my, in my career, when I came back from Nigeria, having grown up here, gone to Nigeria, come back again, um, I wanted to build a career and, there was an element of me that wanted to prove that I was good enough. Um, and that's probably a theme that runs through my life and who I am. And the way I was proving who I was good, uh, that I was good enough was by trying to work for these very impressive companies to see whether they would accept me. And then if they did accept me to see whether I was good enough to be there. And, um, and so, Goldman Sachs was sort of on that journey, if you like. At a point in my career, uh, I'd been working at PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, for a number of years as a management consultant. I had the opportunity to apply for a job at Goldman's. I had the obligatory 16 interviews spread out over three months in multiple different countries where any person at any point can say, no, this isn't a Goldman's person. But at the end of it, they said, yes, come on board. Um, and I thought I would be there for the rest of my career. And I really enjoyed 
my time there. But actually, I only ended up staying there for about two years. And, uh, and then I went down the entrepreneurial path. So I think what was going on there was me sort of pushing myself into situations where I was sort of testing and saying, Tom, are you good enough to do this? Would they actually accept you? Would they accept someone like you with your background? Gosh, they have. Are you good enough now to play at that level? Ah, you are. And after a couple of years of that, I sort of thought, this is interesting. I don't think there's a better firm, you know, arguably, but it's you know, definitely one of the, if not the top firm in banking. So, um, so there's no other firm I'm going to go and test myself at. So I can, I'm sort of free now. I can do what I like. And so I thought, right, now, now I'll be an entrepreneur. So off I went to do that. And the proving you were good enough was um, for yourself, as you looked in the mirror, for your family, for those people in those businesses. Who yeah. do you think it was really for? I think it was really for myself. It was, yeah, nobody else either cared or thought that I needed to do that. You know, if I had said to wife or family, you know, I'm doing this because I'm proving I'm good enough, they'd sort of say, you don't need to do that. But internally, there was this sort of, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. And, uh, and that is a constant driver for me. You know, every time I achieve something, uh, then I sort of think, ooh, was that a fluke? You know, I, I get awarded a CBE, but do they, you know, or, you know, they say, right, Tom, you're the most influential black person in the UK, ah, but maybe they were just short of black people that year. And, and what, what's that about, Tom? Because obviously, <laughs> you know, you've set up a number of businesses, you are yeah. super successful on anyone's metrics of what makes it good, not just financially, but the non-financial, the charitable piece, mm. which we'll come on to. And there you are on a number of fronts questioning that. Is that just because that's got nothing to do with your background, as it were, nothing to do with the color of your skin? It's just who you are? Or is it the combination of all those things? That's the bit I'm... Because, I mean, anyone looking from the outside in, and of course, yeah. it's easier when I'm not you, you're mm, you. Mm. You go, Tom, you're crazy. Of course, you're successful. I think... I don't know. It's difficult to know. I'm, I'm sure it's to do with the background in some way. I moved around a lot. So, you know, I went to a lot of different schools. Uh, um, you know, we first few years in Sunbury in Southwest London, then a few years in Uganda and then back to Richmond and then to Nigeria and then back to the UK. And, and so I was a person that you know, I never started and finished the same school. Apart from university, I was, I joined a school and then I left halfway through and joined another school and then joined another school and so forth. So I was constantly the new boy. And maybe you get good at being the new boy because when you're the new boy, you have to suss things out and figure out how to fit in and, um, you know, be interesting enough, but not too interesting otherwise you might attract the bullies um, but you don't want to be the boring kid in in the corner and then you find your feet and then you're off again and so forth so so I think maybe there's an element of that that each time I'm thinking right I'm, I'm the new boy again and I've got to prove myself all over again you know when I start companies I always start I'm an early stage guy, so I start with a blank sheet of paper and I go into an office uh, with a flip chart and a pen and I say, right, now I've got to do it again. Maybe last time was a fluke. Let's see. And then off we go again. And uh, and then when we get to the end of that one, I think, yeah, but 
maybe I should just do it again just to make sure. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> it's quite St- tiring, actually. <laughs> stay, I bet it is. Stay with me for much more from my guest. Seems to have been very fluky on many, many, many occasions repeatedly. Uh, it's Tom Luba. He'll be back with me in a couple of minutes. Right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Michigan Academy Digital Sessions. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Michigan Andreas, Joe Hancock and Katie Ling talk about current trends in cyber fraud and what companies need to do to protect themselves against them during the recovery period. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. Hello and welcome to the Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast. I'm Joe Hancock, a partner and head of MDR Cyber, the cybersecurity investigations practice at Mishcon I'm joined by my colleague Katie Ling, a cyber intelligence analyst. So should businesses and individuals worry about cyber fraud? Is this overblown? Are we panicking too much about it? Or are people not taking it seriously? Should we worry? I think we should definitely be worrying about this, but it's more on the individual level that I think people aren't necessarily taking it seriously. Unfortunately, we're all at risk from cyber fraud and we've all got a lot of data on the internet. Unless we've been living completely off the grid for the last 30 years, uh, we will have some sort of personal information online. And even if you are personally very careful, it's other organizations that you have trusted with your data, such as your email, your phone or your credit card. And if they're compromised, then unfortunately, so are you. Thanks, Katie. What are the main risks for businesses or other organizations as well as individuals? Well, I think the main risks are probably financial. Some of these attacks can lead to great financial losses, whether that be in the hundreds of pounds or even in the millions of pounds. And also there are reputational risks if your client's data is breached, um, as we saw with EasyJet and some other large companies. This can have a really negative impact on your reputation. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and hear this programme again by popping Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or you can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and many of our recent programmes await you there. But back to today, it's Tommy Luba. He's my guest, founder and CEO of Crossword Cybersecurity, a tech company specialising in cybersecurity and risk solutions. I love the idea of tech transfer, by the way, that notion of working with really clever people and then helping them manage Because again, we, you know, we're talking about clever people not always knowing quite how valuable the thing they've created is and then you helping them do that. So this epiphany of I don't need the name on the door to tell the world that I'm okay and that I'm good at this stuff and that you said the entrepreneurial gene was unleashed. You have set up, I I mean, I'm probably going to lose count here, but it's a good handful of businesses in the IT space. You've also set up a number of uh, charities or foundations. And you mentioned, which I think is quite telling, you know, you, you finish that one, was that a fluke? You go to the next one, empty board, pen again, and off you go. That sense of initial early stage discovery of the first that idea, how does that make you feel when you go, hold on a minute, this business called Noodle, which you created I think, back a, a while ago, that's kind of cool. When you find that moment, is it the, oh, God, there's loads of work to do to bring this to life? Or is, it, is there a moment when you stop and go, that's, that's interesting and I'm happy? Is there a happiness, I guess I'm asking? That's interesting. So, so the moment is is really, really interesting. When I see something and I think that's what I'm going to do, I get excited by it. So I don't get daunted by the effort involved and because 
that's what I do. I paint the picture. I just, I just sort of have a picture of what this thing will be like in four, five, six years time. And I start to bring that into existence. And, and I, I quite like it when people doubt that it's going to happen, you know, with the school in Ghana, I say, right, I'm going to, I'm going to create a science and technology school in Ghana. And they say, but you're not from Ghana and you live in London. And how's that going to happen? And I think to myself, yeah, well, it's <laughs> going to happen. You watch. And then gradually it comes to life. And, uh, and then people say, Oh, it's actually, actually happening. Uh, um, I remember my daughter saying once, she said, I- I've decided I might sort of listen to some of the things you say because sometimes you say something and then it happens. So <laughs> maybe I'd better keep an eye on what you say. So I think, I think that goes on. I, the happiness thing though, that's sort of a, a different thing. I'm, I'm, I'm happy at times in the moment, but on the whole, I'm there, yeah, there isn't constant happiness there. And the dissatisfaction I'd sense, not, not yeah. unhappiness. It's yeah. just a, I haven't understood it. I haven't fixed it. Yeah. I haven't spotted the solution. I haven't gone and delivered. I'm imagining you're always on the, 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 the spectrum of it's not there yet. I think if, if I can't fix something, I, I feel, I feel that very deeply. Yeah. If, um, a lot of things I can fix, uh, yeah, in families, they're often, you know, the person you, you happen to go to to fix things. And, uh, and, and I, I joke that I'm, I'm that person and I'm sure they only throw stuff at me so that <laughs> I've got something to do. But, um, but I am quite good at saying, right, that problem, you think that's a difficult problem. I'm going to, I'm going to fix it. But, you know, when, um, you know, my older brother, uh, had cancer and died, and for all my so-called success and contacts and money and this, that, and the other, I couldn't fix it. And, you know, that, that was you know, crushing. Uh, and so, and, and I sort of, when I looked at it and thought, what's, what's happening there, you know, apart from losing him and the impact of that, you know, it, it sort of really kind of just reminded me that, this sort of need to be useful and to add value and to fix things when when that just wasn't possible it it really it really hit me hard how, how did you deal with that actually because it's a really important point about resilience in general and in yeah. in, a, in a left-brained rational way i'm sure in your business you help people understand how to be resilient when things don't go well when it's emotional yeah and yeah. you just talked very openly about your brother that's trickier yeah. I mean, for me, for the best part of a year, it, it was, it was crushing. So I was probably on the verge of yeah, breakdown, um, you know, almost going in, in and out of it. Um, I, I remember saying, I think I said to my wife or to someone, one of my best friends, I feel like I'm eating dust. You know, I'm, I'm eating, but every, everything, life tastes like dust. For, for months and months and months. Uh, and, uh, and I really wondered how and whether I would cut, get out of it. Um, I think I sort of in that, now that's, that, that's a very extreme situation. And I, you know, I, I've sort of shown resilience in other ways, but in that situation, at some point, it was almost like I just, I just grabbed the sides and said, I am going to, I am just going to pull myself out of this, you know, and, and I really had to stretch and emotionally stretch up 
and drag and pull myself uh, out of it until I got my head above water and then started to started to push on from there. And part of it was, you know, my brother Jim, he was a really you know, fabulous, easygoing, super intelligent uh, chap. Um, one of actually one of the challenges, I suppose, that I have where I'm trying to prove myself is both my brothers, my older brother Jim, my younger brother Roland, are intellectually much smarter than I am. You know, just obviously, if the three of us are sitting there talking, then I'm the dollard, and they're, they're so so. There was an element where I'm trying to keep up with them, sort of thing. And so he had this sort of intellectual gift and easygoing style where. If he ever wanted to do something, he would just do it. I remember calling him once and saying, uh, oh, you're watching watching the rugby. I think it was a Lions tour. You're watching the rugby. He said, yeah, I'm watching the rugby. I said, oh, yeah, me too. I said, where are you watching it? He said, well, South Africa, because that's where it's on. <laughs> and I thought he was in the pub up the road. That's the sort of chap he was. So I think he, I kind of almost heard him in the depths of my despair. I, I almost sort of heard him saying, okay, come on, Tom, you know, time to... Time to enjoy life again. Just, you know, I would be, so you should as well. And and that helped me get out of it. Save me for much more from Tom Alubo, my business shaper here on Jazz Shapers. It's talking very openly about resilience and about dealing with things that are about as painful as they get. You talked about obstacles and issues, and I want to talk about racism. We've talked very briefly mm. um, about the fact that you are black yeah. and about the fact that there have been, although I haven't said it, there have been a number of times in your life where basically because of the colour of your skin, things didn't quite go the way they ought to have gone. Yeah. We're sitting here in 2020 in the year when the Black Lives Matter movement has suddenly become more mainstream. Mm. Before we watched it, as someone who isn't black, mm. I'm looking going, this is, you know, historically, this is awful. I'm an anti, mm. anti-racist, as most uh, good-minded people are. But this is different. Do you see yourself as a black role model? You talk briefly, you're a CBE, mm. you're a person in business, you're a, you have a, a, this, this foundation that you've created, you do great things. Mm. Do you do that for any other reason other than the reason before, which is Tom Alube fixes problems? Mm. Or is it because Tom Alube believes that as a black person, he ought to be doing these things for the black community? Mm. I have got used to being a role model and it's something that I accept I I don't sort of look for it actively but I've realized over the years possibly particularly over the last maybe 10 or 15 years that some younger people younger black people and and white people and and so forth look to me and some of the things I've done and and it 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 points a direction or it gives them some inspiration and so forth And, and so I've decided that I'm comfortable with that and uh, and and but I don't let it sort of impact my life I don't I don't really then try and tailor myself to make myself more role model like I just do what I do uh, and if people take some bits of that and say actually that bit's useful to me I think I'll use that to inspire me to do something then then I accept that and I'm comfortable you know some people say you know, I'm uh, I'm an executive who just happens to be black, uh, and uh, and I say, well, right, okay, well, I'm a black executive. <laughs> you know, that's just that's just who I am, and you know, and and I'm I'm just very comfortable with that. The satisfaction that is derived from your working life, mm. uh, as you juxtapose that with your philanthropic life, again talking about that happiness thing, 
is it are you neutral does it matter whether it's one or the other or does one give you a deeper sense of happiness a deeper sense of purpose yeah yeah my charitable work that is the reason why I do the other stuff. Um, early on in my career, I was running a business. Things were quite tough. Uh, and I talked to my then chairman, who was quite a thoughtful chap. Uh, and I said, gosh, this is hard work. You know, I'm struggling a bit and so forth. And, and he said, before we talk about the business, let's just stand back a bit. Tell me, what are you here for? What do you, what do you want to do? Um, you know, 10 years out, 15 years out. Uh, and I talked about the impact that I wanted to have on the African continent and the the way that I wanted to make things happen. And we talked about that for a while. And he said, okay, two things, Tom. One, you've got to do this day-to-day stuff. Otherwise, you'll never get to do that. So tough. You're going to have to do that. And I was thought, oh, blimey, okay. And two, he said, and by the way, that big, beautiful vision you've got there if you can't do this stuff, don't kid yourself, you're ever going to be able to do that. So this is sort of small steps for you. Know, just get on and, and do that. And it was, it was kind of a wake up call. Okay. So I want to, I want to play that big game there. I'm going to have to be able to do this. And I sort of rolled up my sleeves and, and got back into it again. So I definitely derive pleasure from the business stuff. But the reason why I do it, the money that I make, the contacts that I make, uh, I'm thinking about the impact that I can have over here. And when I visit the school and, and see what the girls have done uh, and are going on to do, that's that's the bit where I really think, wow, that's I'm really pleased about that. But in that day-to-day stuff, yeah. obviously there's serious stuff to do. You're now, you have yeah. a PLC to look after. You've probably got three other ideas at any one time, <laughs> I imagine. How would, um, and you mentioned, you said of this chair, chairman, yeah. thoughtful person. Yeah. How would you be described by your team now in this business that you're running? What do you think they would say if they were had, they had a couple of adjectives? Hmm, interesting. I think, I think they might say thoughtful as well. Um, I think I'm quite reflective and I think they see that. Um, I think they would also say, but sometimes Tom gets very laser-like and suddenly things get done and so they they see that as well and and I think they hope to be able to just get on and do the things that they need to do before I notice and say actually let me get really lazy like about you see you are a physicist I knew it I knew my hunt Tom I knew my hunch was like you put me off you moved me over there but I knew we'd come back to the laser stay with me for my final chat with Tom the laser Ilube plus we're playing a gem from muddy waters that's in just a moment don't go anywhere jazz shapers on jazz fm in partnership with mishkondorea it's business but it's personal. I have Tom Malubo, my business shaper, just for a few more minutes. We've covered a lot. A lot of things have popped out like nice rabbits quite happily from the hat. I want to ask you about the future now, the next few years. You've obviously accomplished so much, even though you think it's all a fluke (laughs) and it's going to end tomorrow or even today. Um, Is the drive the same? Is the drive, I've just got to fix it? Is the drive, I don't really care how many titles you throw at me, the fact that you're now an honorary fellow at Jesus College, Oxford? The fact that you're an advisory fellow at St Anne's College, Oxford. The fact that you're a non-exec director, I think. Um, are you still on this chair of diversity and, and inclusion advisory group? I'm, I'm on the board of you're the on BBC. The board, and, on the board uh, of the BBC, yeah. as, you, as you will. Yeah. Uh, included in, you know, one power list after another, CBEs, everything. <laughs> Tom, what is going to happen next? 
I'm going to keep building my business. I'm going to keep building my school. I think I'm going to maybe become more reflective. What I've what I've found over the years is that I can achieve a lot in a soft way. So my form of exercise is Tai Chi. That's that's what I do. I uh, yeah. I, that's I, all the form, isn't it? Yeah, that's lovely. Form, quite flowy. Yeah, quite flowing. And and it's about leverage. And it's uh, it's about using other other forces in order to make things happen and so in a way i've become more influential and able to do more things by sort of doing less than than i used to you know when i was younger i used to rush around and grab things and push things and so forth and now i've sort of eased back a bit but i know where the levers are in order to get things done so i'll be i'll be doing more of uh, more of that and and i'm i'm looking forward to it and that will give you space for yourself being reflective is about your time but i imagine also in your responses to people and events yeah yeah uh, you know having having more time to think having more time to read write more maybe that, that's the sort of thing I'll be doing and do you envisage a time where you won't be working and you will be 100% in in your philanthropic endeavors or is that in does that piece ground you I don't think I'll stop working um, I can't see that at the moment I think I'll I'll continue to uh, to to work uh, I I don't quite see it as work I think that's the thing I don't I don't quite you know I, I enjoy it uh, and so it's it feels like a bit like saying you know do you see a time when you'll stop eating yeah and I think why why would I do that <laughs> you know, so so that will always be there and the board roles are fun Yes, yeah, they are. They're fun. They're interesting. They they make you think. You know, if you when you sit on the board of something like the BBC with nearly twenty thousand people and reaching nearly half a billion people worldwide and uh, and so forth, they, you have to you have to really sort of think about so many dimensions and then think about how you can influence decisions, where you want to influence decisions. It's it's fascinating. That must be a huge game of chess. I mean, just on that one alone, to think in those dimensions, with as you said, where the stakes are super high yeah. and there's complexity built in. Is it possible as a, as a non-exec in an organisation like that to actually influence? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think I do. But you, you have to learn how to do it and you, you can't, you can't influence everything and you can't change everything. So you, you have to look for where, where the levers are in the organization and influence those levers. And you also have to realize that you might not see the effect immediately. Uh, and so you, you have to be patient about it. You'll, you'll try and make something happen over here, recognizing that the impact, you'll see it a year or two later. Uh, over there but if you have faith in in yourself and uh, and in that that's the way things work uh, then you're, you're quite comfortable with that and I'm quite comfortable with that it's been really good talking to you I've really enjoyed it thank you um, and thank you for your openness and honesty uh, it's been fascinating um, so the laser has a choice <laughs> what has the laser Tom chosen in terms of your song choice and why have you chosen it uh, I've chosen uh, Mr. Bojangos by uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, that is that is my song. Um, that is that's the name of my blog. That's the thing that I want written on my gravestone. Uh, there's a line in it where he sings, "Talks of life laughed," and I, I like that. You know, I think about life. I talk about life. 
and I laugh, and uh, and that's what Mr. Bojangos does. The song choice of my incredibly honest business shaper, Tom Elube. He talked about being inquisitive and being fascinated by the world and people. He talked about his laser-like skills of really interrogating issues and problems and getting under the skin of them to resolve them. And importantly, as he moves into the next phase of the Tom Elube life, he talked about the importance of being reflective, of really thinking things through. And boy, was he honest about everything. Have a great one. I'll see you on Saturday. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mish Kondorea. It's business, but it's personal.